we're starting this brand new series called Dead or Alive. And this morning I want to start this series by saying I have a big confession that I want to make to you today. I have a problem. Now, a lot of you are like, yeah, we know you've got a problem. But no, I'm seriously, I have a problem. And it's a problem that a lot of you, you may not like that your pastor has this problem. Maybe some of you, you've seen other pastors with this same problem. And you have not liked that. Maybe you've left that church. Uh, but I have this problem. And you may not like this problem. And this is the problem. I am obsessed with money. I'm obsessed with money. You know, I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of money. The very existence sometimes controls my life. You know, I sometimes love it and I sometimes hate it. Sometimes I feel like I have freedom with it and other times I feel a slave to it. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, I am a bivocational pastor, which means I have another job as well that the church doesn't pay my salary. I have a regular job like the rest of you, and I go to work every week, and I spend over 37 hours a week working a job just to get money. I'm obsessed with it. I, I check out how much of it have every day. I check my bank balance every single day. Uh, In fact, I carry around with me at all times the ability to access my money whenever I want. And then there are a few extremely kind organizations out there who, when I don't have enough money, they are kind enough to lend me their money, and then I don't even have to pay it back all at once. Aren't they nice? I spend hours each month paying bills with this money. Oftentimes, I'm counting my pennies. I wish I was counting the dollars, but oftentimes, it's just counting the pennies. And then many times, I find myself on my knees praying to God for more money. And there's even times where I'm praying to God, asking God that God will bless me financially and also bless this church financially. And you know, for years, I thought this was the normal way to live. I thought this was okay. Everybody is obsessed with money. And then I found out that one day I was in a hole. You know, two years ago, I was what I call debt free. And what I mean by debt free is that I had no debt in my life except for two car loans. And I thought that was okay because everybody in America has car loans, right? Everybody. It's the American way to have car loans. And so I call myself debt free. And then my wife and myself, we decided to do a very American thing. And we decided to become homeowners. Uh, I think it's in the Constitution. I think some of you think it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But really, the Constitution says life, liberty, and the ability to own a home, right? Everybody owns a home. Or if you don't own a home, you're trying to own a home. And so we purchased this fixer-upper. And uh, we knew we'd have to do some renovations. And we poured thousands of dollars into the house. And then suddenly after we did this renovation, reality hit me. Uh, I realized in the space of a few months, I had accumulated more debt than I had ever done in my life before. In fact, this debt was so big that it would take four years for me of a debt-free salary where I wouldn't be able to spend money on anything else, just this debt to get out of debt. 
And I discovered that I had become a slave to debt, a slave to money, and money was getting the better of me. And you know what, this morning I'm going to make a statement. You may not like it, but the statement's this. The majority of you are in the same position today as well. Money dictates your life. It dictates the things you can do, the things you can't do. In fact, you probably think about money more, mostly or more than anything else in your life. In fact, you are probably as obsessed with money as I am. And you know what I've discovered? It's not the way that God intended for us to live. God did not intend for us to be obsessed with money. You know, Last week at our Easter service, we talked about how Jesus has come and reclaimed our life. And Jesus died for your freedom. He died for my freedom. And our financial debt in our lives has enslaved us. And so often money has entrapped us. For we live in a culture that is driven by the green stuff. We live in a country that thinks it's okay to have a deficit. And it's okay to keep building on top of that deficit. And we live in a country that promotes that it's okay to be in debt for all your working lives. As long as you're not in debt at the end of your life, they think it's okay. And we live in this culture where we think it's okay to be in debt all of our working lives. And you know what I've realized? I've realized that debt binds us. In fact, it restricts us, and if we're not careful, debt can take the life out of us, and the life out of our family, and the life out of our kids, the life out of our marriage. It will take the life out of us. And so this series that we're starting today, it's a five-week series, and the series is all about a way to live life. You can either live a life that is money-obsessed, that is full of debt, or you can live a life that is alive and is free. And I want to encourage you over the next five weeks to take a look at the way that you view money and view debt so that you can start to live on a path that is alive and it is free. There's a man in the the Bible called the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was this, this father of the Christian faith. He wrote lots of, uh, of, of different books. To, he encouraged different churches. And later on in his life, he had this, uh, this young pastor that he mentored. And this young pastor's name was Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in a city called Ephesus. And Timothy had a pretty large church. And so, Tim, and so Paul starts to tell Timothy about some of the things that he needs to teach Uh, in his church. He needs to teach to the people in his church. And and one of the things that Paul told Timothy, he says, Timothy, you've got to teach the people in the church at Ephesus about money. Because they've got to understand really what money is and what money can do to their lives. And so this is what the Apostle Paul told this young man, Timothy. If you have your Bibles, it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to start reading at verse 10. We're going to take a look at verse 10. Uh, It will be on the screen for those of you who are looking in in your Bible. It's like uh, halfway, two-thirds through the New Testament. If you've gone to Hebrews, Peter, 1 John, you've gone too far. If you're looking at Corinthians, Romans, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, it's a few more pages over. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. 
This is what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. I'm going to read it again because I want us to understand really what Paul is saying. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. So right here in this verse, the Apostle Paul, he makes three statements. And these three statements are statements that we need to take a look at ourselves and see if this is happening to us. So I've got three questions I want you to ask yourself today. And this will determine whether you have a life that is obsessed with money or a life that is free of money. The first question that I want to ask you today is this. Do you love money? Do you love You know, everybody likes a little bit of money. We like having a surplus in our bank account. I mean, who who likes it when, you know, you've got your paycheck, you've paid all your bills, and then you've got a little bit extra left over. And you know, you've got some money, you've got some wiggle room, you've got some freedom with that money. We like having a little bit of money. We like it when our retirement soars, when you get your quarterly retirement statements and you see that this year that, that there's been a, a, an increase, a huge increase in, in, the, in, in, uh, in, in the interest that you've got back on that retirement. We like it because we know that means there is more money in our retirement. We like it when we don't have to worry about paying a bill, where we don't have to think, where is this money coming from? Because we like a little bit of money. But I want to ask you today, is that like for money really a love for money? Is that like for money really a love for money? This is what Paul says. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, he doesn't say that money is the root of evil. He didn't say money is is the problem. What he says, he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He he doesn't say that money is evil because money is a tool that we need to live in our lives. You've got bills to pay. You know, you go to work to to make money so that you can pay those bills. You know, we we need to save for, for retirement. We need to save for tomorrow. Money isn't the problem, but the, Paul is saying the love of money leads is the root or leads to all kinds of evil. You know, it's easy to tell if somebody loves music. They're listening to music all the time. You can see that they love to listen to music. You can also tell if someone loves sports. Because they're talking about it all the time. They're obsessed with it. You know, they're, they're wearing this T-shirt, uh, you know, every game. They're, they're, they're doing it. They play every fantasy sport you can imagine. They love sports. 
You know, on a, on a darker side, you can tell if someone likes a little bit too much to drink or too much alcohol. You can see the effects that it's doing in their lives. You can see that they are liking too much. If someone likes too much food or they like certain types of food, you can tell that they like food. But a love for money is different. It's a lot harder to tell if somebody has a love for money. Because a love for money is something that we can hide under the normality of our culture. You know, if, if, if you got people coming over your house and you don't feel like cleaning, instead you just like get a rug and you sweep all the dust under the rug and you leave it there. It doesn't mean that your house is clean. People may look at it and think it's clean, but you know deep down that it's not clean. And that's a lot the same with a lot of people with money. We have this love, this obsession with money, and we sweep it under the normality of our culture. And so nobody can really see that it may be eaten away at our lives. Paul uses the word here, he says, the love for money. The word that he uses here is a Greek word. And the Greek word is pronounced phalegeria. Uh, and it means to covet something. It means to fix your desire upon something and want it and want more of it. So Paul is saying here, he's saying that desire to get money, that desire to increase your financial situation, that desire to to gain more money is the root of a lot of evil. It's the root of many of the problems in your life. You know, it's not wrong to become rich. I'm going to lay this out right now, and we'll deal with it week five about how, you know, what the Bible says about people becoming rich. It's not wrong to become rich, but it is wrong to desire to become rich. It's wrong to be, desire to become rich. Do you know why it's wrong to desire to become rich? Because most of the time, it becomes an idol in our lives, and it starts to eat away at our lives. And, and I want to ask you, uh, I'm going to make three statements, and I want you to, to, to uh, just take a look and analyze your life and analyze your heart. Do these statements apply to me? And these are three statements, just how we know if we have a love for money or not. And the first statement is this, you, you either covet or love money if you desire to make a quick buck for the least amount of work. If you desire to make a quick buck for the least amount of work, meaning that you want to get on some get-rich-quick scheme. Maybe you want to get on some pyramid scheme where you don't have to do any work at all. You're just getting the money and collecting the money. Maybe you're playing the stock market and you're a little too risky and it's just all to get more money. If that's you, then you may have a little too much affection for the green stuff. A little too much affection for the green stuff. You know what money is? Money years ago, it wasn't notes, it wasn't coins. Money was your possessions and you would trade something you have for something else. 
So if you had a bunch of chickens and you wanted some cows, you would go and you'd give like 20 chickens for their one cow because you get more meat out of a cow than 20 chickens. And uh, maybe, you know, you sewed like blankets or ugly sweaters. And, you know, you would take your blankets and ugly sweaters and you would want uh, maybe a pair of nice shoes and you would trade for each other. Well, that's what money is. Money is just trading something you have for something else. And if you are trying to gain more without actually having anything more or doing anything more or working anymore, then you may have a little too much affection for actually money and not what the money represents. Second statement, you may love or covet money too much if you talk money and it's the centerpiece of your conversation. You talk money and it's the centerpiece of your conversation. Maybe it's what drives your friendships. Maybe you've made friendships around people because you know they have money. Maybe it consumes your family life. You know, if you're talking to your spouse more about your fiscal problems than just having honest dialogue with each other, then there may be an issue. If the only time that you get together and have honest conversations with your spouse is when you are talking money, then you may have a little bit too much affection for that money. You may have a covert problem. If the center of your conversation is always about money, about how little you have or how much you have, then there may be an issue with money in your life. Third statement. You may love or covet money too much if you follow the crowd when it comes to money issues. You follow the crowd when it comes to money issues. You know what we should do when we have a, an issue or a fiscal problem that we are talking about, that we need to do in our lives, that a decision that we are to make? The Bible teaches to seek first God. To seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means to come unto me with all your issues. God, God, Jesus says to, to bring all of your requests. Paul says to bring all your requests on, uh, unto the Lord. The first thing that we should do if we have a fiscal issue or we've got a decision to make is firstly we should come before God and ask God. But do you know what a lot of us do? We take a look at what's everyone else doing. You know, in, in, uh, in my job, we got a new retirement plan. And the first question was, was hey, what are you doing? Which retirement plan are you going on? Which, which, which choice are you making? And, 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 and everyone just followed each other like a, like, you know, like a, a herd of chickens or whatever. You know I mean? It was just like, you know, everyone just followed each other. But you know what? A godly person is someone who seeks God first. Just because everybody else is doing something doesn't mean that you have to do it. And for those of you who don't own homes this morning, let me just be very honest with you. If you don't own a home and you have a desire to own a home just because everyone else in America wants to go 30 years into debt to own a home, it doesn't mean for you it's the best fiscal option. Same with buying a car. Just because everyone else has a new car doesn't mean that it's the best option for you. You should seek God first. And so if you're following the crowd instead of following God, then you may have some money issues. So the first question I had for you today, do you love money? The second question I want to ask you is, does money take away from your faith? 
Does money take away from your faith? This is what Paul says. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. So Paul says that money can lead you away from God. And the reason for this is that it can become an idol in our lives. It can become a focus in our lives. And if, if we are not careful, we can start to trust in money more than we do in God. And when that happens, when we start to trust in money more than we do in God, it starts to weaken our faith. See, the problem is it's easier to trust in something that is as tangible as money. Something that you see every day going up and down. You, you get your paycheck. You can go to an ATM and withdraw your money. It's easier to trust in something as tangible as money than to place your trust in God. Which sometimes, you know, we don't see God. Sometimes you can't feel God. Sometimes you don't hear from God. And it's so much easier to trust in something tangible like that than it is to trust in God. Yet... God is our only stable in this life. He is our provision. And I tell you today, your employer is not your provision. Do you know why? Because tomorrow morning, your employer could call you into the office and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to let you go. He is not your provision. She is not your provision. But instead, God is your provision. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Do you know what? He is our provision. He is the one who is steady, who is sure. You know, many of you, you may have had uh, some money and savings or retirement back in 2008, 2009, and it was going great, you know, and then suddenly the stock market crashed and you lost a bunch of money. If your trust and your faith was in that money, then you would have been very miserable. But if your trust and faith was in God, it would have been totally different. You know, when you fail to see God as your provider, then your faith gets twisted and construed. You know, there's lots of people who, who won't give unto God because they're, they're like, how can I can't even afford to give because they see that their money, their employer is their provider instead of God is their provider. You know, when I was a child, I had no money issues at all. I didn't worry at all when I was a child about money. I, uh, I, I came home from school and I would eat and I didn't have to worry about where I was going to get my next piece of bread, chocolate, steak, whatever we had. We didn't have steak. We weren't rich. So, uh, but I didn't have to worry. 
You know, I went to my wardrobe and I would get my clothes and then I would go to my sock drawer and there was always holes in my socks. And I would go, Mom, I've got holes in my socks. And then like that week, I would get new socks and my mom was great, but she would buy me new socks and buy me new clothes. I never had to worry about what I was going to eat, what I was going to wear. I never had to worry about there being hot water because my parents paid their bills or electricity. Uh, I never had to worry about getting from A to B because my parents took care of the, the gas and the car payments, and I never had any worries at all. And then when I was about 17, my dad was like, okay, son, time for you to take some responsibility. I'm like, thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. So I went and got myself a job, and then I got myself my first car, and I did a real fiscal irresponsible thing. I took a student loan and I bought a car and it took me till about 30 to pay that car off. I mean, it was great. But I, you know, I got my own car. I got my own insurance. Then when I went to university, my parents were like, you got to start paying rent. And so I started paying rent and then I moved out. Um, and then I started realizing there's things like electricity and water you got to pay for. You got to go to the grocery store. You got to actually buy your own socks. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, then you've got all these other things that keep piling on top. But, you know, I had no money issues when I was a kid because my father was the one who provided for me. And the Bible tells us that there is a heavenly father who will always provide for you. There was a point in my life when my father said, okay, I'm no longer going to be your provision. But your heavenly father will never say that to you. You don't get to a certain point of maturity in your Christian faith and God says, okay, that's it. You're on your own. No, God comes and he says, I am your provision. I am your provider. And when we start to love money a little too much, it starts to draw us away from God because we start to trust in the money and not trusting God. Third and last question I want to ask you this morning. Does money cause pressure in your life? Does money cause pressure in your life? Paul says this, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. So Paul says here, he says that the love of money has caused many people to have sorrows in their life. You know, the leading cause of divorce in the United States is not infidelity. It's not sex. It's not kids. It's not falling out of love. It's not just drifting apart. It's not even the in-laws, if you can believe it. But the leading cause of divorce in the United States today is money issues. Money has this uncanny ability to drive a wedge between the strongest of relationships. And I ask you today, how's your family life? Is money driving issues in your family life? How are your relationships at work? What if, what if you, tomorrow morning, you're sitting in your cubicle and the person next to you in their cubicle, you find out they're doing exactly the same job as you, but they're getting paid double to what you're getting. How would you feel towards that person? Would your relationship change? Are the fiscal choices of other people 
causing you to live an unhappy life? Are the things, the homes that other people are buying, the cars that maybe friends are buying, maybe the vacations some people are going to, or the restaurants others are going to eat, or the clothes that some people wear, or the schools that those people are sending their kids to? Is it causing you to live an unhappy life because you don't have what they have? Is it causing tension in your household because you want this but you can't afford it? Have you ever compromised your integrity for the sake of gaining more money? You know, every year thousands of people, they stand accused before a judge of what is known as a white-collar crime, a money crime. And it's due to the fact that the pull of money caused them to lose their integrity. And all these things, if money becomes a love in your life, these are the results of where it can lead to. It can cause pressure and sorrow in your life. And before you go today, I don't want you to go leaving thinking money is bad. But it's often our view of money that can cause many problems. And I want us to go today looking in context fully exactly what the Apostle Paul told this young guy, Timothy, exactly what he should teach. We've taken one scripture and taken a look. But let's take a look in context. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll start reading at verse 3. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Some people may contradict our teaching. But these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus. These teachings promote a godly life. So Paul is saying, what I'm about to tell you, these are teachings that are godly teachings. They will lead you into a godly, full life. He says this, verse 4, Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, listen to this, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. There's many teachers out there, many pastors, who use the faith to become wealthy. Let's be honest. I mean, you can see it on TV at times. There's people, I mean, what there's, there's like daylight robbery, some of the things that they're asking you to give to, and it's just so that they can become wealthy. And this is what Paul teaches against. And in verse 6, he says this. Yes, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But we people, sorry, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation, trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know, I've discovered wealth is not about gaining money. Wealth is about godly contentment. 
There's many churches out there who use faith to gain money. Paul teaches against this. Instead, Paul says that we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave this world with nothing. Our contentment should not be from what we gain, what we possess, what we wear, what we own, but our contentment should come from life itself. And if you're not content with a little, if you've got a little and you're not content with that little, then you will never be content with much. If you're living a life and maybe you're pay, paycheck to paycheck and life is tough, you haven't got much, you haven't got what other people have. If you're not content in that life, if suddenly you won the lottery and you became a millionaire, you still will not be content. Because contentment does not come from what we gain, what we possess, what we own. Contentment comes from living a godly life. Paul says, if you have enough food to eat and enough clothes to wear, then you should be content. There's no way to live, to live a life that is pursuing money. And this is why we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the one who said that he has come to give you life. He is the giver of life. And a life pursuing Jesus is a life that is so much richer than a life pursuing dollars and cents. I'm not saying that we should all live in poverty. I like the good things of life. I like to go out to eat. You know, I don't want to drive a car that breaks down every five miles. But what I'm, what I'm saying this morning is that don't let money drive your life. Life may be tough. Maybe right now you're going through a period in your life where life is tough. You know, you're, you're, you've got more expenses than, than, than you have money coming in. But don't let that be the driver of your life. Don't let that be the thing that creates the environment in your household. But let a godly life, because you know what? Our Heavenly Father is our provider. And there may be a a point in your life where you need to cut back on some of those expenses. Maybe you need to trust in God a little bit more. Maybe you need to take your focus away from the money and put it on God. And if you do, you'll start to live this life of contentment. And it will be a rich, satisfying life. Let's bow our heads in prayer.